The Inside Learning Podcast is brought to you by the Learnovate Center. Learnovate's research explores the power of learning to unlock human potential. Find out more about Learnovate's research on the science of learning and the future of work at learnovatecenter.org. New national research from today's guest and her firm Flex and Strategy Group signals a widening gap between employee and leadership perceptions about flexible work and performance, including what's happening when employees are on site. The research is the latest in a series of flex and strategy group studies that have monitored the national progress of issues related to work-life flexibility from the employee point of view since 2006. It is a pleasure to host the founder of Flex and Strategy Group, author of the 2004 title, Work and Life, Finding the Fit That's Right for You, and Tweak It, Make What Matters to You Happen Every Day from 2013. Welcome to the show, Callie Williams-Yost. Thank you, Aidan. It's great to be here. It's so great to have you. And I emphasize the dates of those books and indeed the study that maps right back to work you started in 2006. And the reason I did that is because you've been fighting this battle for two decades, and it took a pandemic for people to open their eyes to this idea of flexible work. I'd love to hear a little bit about that journey for you before we get into this research that I mentioned. Well, actually, it began when I was a banker back in the early 90s. I was in charge of a group of bankers, all of whom were older than I was. And I saw that we were losing people because of a lack of flexibility. And these bankers were very important in terms of the relationships with our customers. So I didn't have kids. I you know, really wasn't thinking about this from a personal perspective. I really was thinking about it truly from a business perspective. And again, in the early 90s, there were didn't even really have cell phones. We didn't have computers, but it just seemed to make perfect sense to me to just let them work flexibly because we didn't have clients that came into our office. It didn't matter where people were. And as you can imagine, the response from my leadership was, they were just dumbstruck. They didn't even know what I was talking about. But I knew this was going to be the future and um, somehow. And I went back to business school and started on this journey when I graduated in 1995. And I've been on it ever since. Isn't it amazing how, for example, many, many people thought their bosses were great, or perhaps they thought they were bearable. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then along comes the pandemic, and they saw the boss's true colors, including this idea that you have to be in the office in order for me to think that you're working. And it really exposed the lack of trust that's so widespread in workplaces all over the world. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Where are we right now? I think this is a good moment to say kind of what's happening in this particular period on as we come out from the other side. And I think what we're seeing is this clash of contexts, because I do think people performed in some cases even better than they did when they were going into the office during COVID. And that shows up in profits and in, in revenue. I mean, some of the companies, some companies during the pandemic did even better than they've done in years. However, I think leaders are seeing, really seeing that there are some issues that perhaps got lost in the sauce, like developing new talent or making sure there's a cohesiveness in the culture. And for them, their context for work remains on site in an office. 
So to solve those problems, to solve those challenges, you need to be in the office. Now, in terms of productivity, I think very rightly so. Individuals are saying, but I was productive. I was doing my job. And so that's their context. And what we need to do now is move beyond the clash of those two different perspectives about the way work can happen. And we have to meet in the middle and we have to ask ourselves, what about what we learned in the pandemic and how we performed in the pandemic is important to keep because it worked. But what are we missing that now we need to add back in? But we have to start with the work and not with the where. What we always say is start with the what. What do we need to do? So what we're, what are the objectives that we're trying to achieve that we feel we're not achieving? And what are the activities that contribute to achieving those objectives? And then asking, okay, where do they happen best? When do they happen best? And how do they happen best? And from that process, that's when you begin to start to put in place the new parameters within which we will flexibly work across the different dimensions of workplaces, spaces, and time. And that's the process we keep trying to avoid doing. Um, And that's why we are locked in this seemingly um, cycle of a lack of trust and and well-meaning and not meeting in the middle and not co-creating and collaborating together on what this can look like. So, um, yeah, I, I really believe that it's just not being willing to say we have to do it differently. Now, what does that look like? And living in that uncertainty and then building it together going forward. I love how you talked about the two different contexts and you've given us beautiful context to set today's stage for the research that you've done, because I thought what we do is highlight some of that research and then I will link to that research and to the longer report, including an infographic for those people who don't have the time to look at the entire report. We'll share some of the highlights of that today. And and one of the things you alluded to, to there is the whole idea that simply showing up at the office on a set day does not guarantee a collaborative focus on team or organizational priorities. I think that's a really important one to begin with. And it goes back to, right? People keep starting with the where. If I just say where you're going to be, then we will have performance. And actually, that doesn't actually end up being always true. Um, Increasingly, I'm hearing more and more stories about people who show up and they're doing the exact same work that they were doing when they were sitting in their home office. And so why are they there? So again, it's about, great, there may be things legitimately that benefit from more and more intentional time together in person. What are those things? And define them and then prioritize them to happen when people are together in a physical place. And you can only do that if you start with the work and think about what those things are and then decide, okay, when we do these things, we are going to be in the office together. And based on all the things we've identified that happen best when we are in the same physical place, that translates into, let's say, two or three days a week in the office together. But what happens then is people know why they're there and they're going to plan and prioritize those activities and outcomes for that time in the same place. But even more important, At the same time, you're also defining what you are going to do when you are not together in that same place. And that's the other thing we're seeing is work is now becoming the three days when we're together in the office, but then what's happening on those other two days when you're not together? Because all of that coordination and development 
and culture building can't stop at the four walls of the office. It still has to be happening, maybe in a different way, when you're all working in a more distributed way on those days when you're not together. So, you know, again, it's, I think people just wanted to have this done simply like, okay, just three days, you're all in, now we can move on. And I think what we're finding is that's just the beginning. Now we're realizing, okay, people are complying because they don't see why they're there. And then there's always the exceptions because it doesn't align with their job. And then all of a sudden people say, that's not fair. And then you start to track people and then that makes them unengaged. And then it just, the house of cards kind of starts to fall apart. So now again, start with the work and then work your way towards how many days really will be together, what you're doing when you're apart. And I'm going to tell you, inevitably, you end up with two to three days together. People will see that does make sense, but they're coming at it from the work, not from the place. I think that is one of the things I took most from the research. And it makes sense that you would really verbalize and communicate why we're working together on these days. And one of the things you highlight in the research is that while almost all employees have work-life flexibility, only half reported receiving any guidance or training on managing their flexibility. So they feel they're being told to come to the office, but not why. And it's that why that I think is so important with any kind of transformation, digital transformation, innovation work. And in a way, this is reinventing the workplace for a modern era, but that communication piece is still absent. The training and guidance piece of this is so very, very important. And one of the things that um, I think is interesting is when you start to execute an effective, flexible work strategy, all of a sudden, a lot of things that probably weren't great before the pandemic, all of a sudden, have you have a chance to make them better and more effective. So I'm not even sure people were effectively using technology before the pandemic. And I'm going to say when I even see it now, I don't think we're optimizing a lot of the technology tools that were available to us to effectively communicate, to even store documents, you know, to the norms around how to use video conferencing and how to use the various different platforms that we communicate and collaborate across. All of that needs to be refined and clarified and truly optimized to make this work. And now you have the reason to do that. It even includes people just managing well. You can't not manage, even just master the basics of good management when you're managing a flexible work team. You can't just use presence as a proxy for performance anymore. And so all of these elements come into play beyond just defining the parameters within which you're going to work. It's really then how are you going to operate within them? And that does require not only just managers to know how to manage, it also requires teams to know how to coordinate with each other. And individually, this is why I wrote both of my books, individually, we need a set of skills to be effective, flexible workers so that we can actually be our best on the job, but then also flexibly fit our work and life together on and off the job that again, requires a different set of skills than maybe we had when we walked into the door nine to five and then walked out. That's different. Do you say flexibility is about more than location-focused limits of the hybrid or remote labels? And you say it's more about optimizing work across workplaces, spaces, and time by answering a simple question, what do we need to do and how, when and where do we need to do it best? And it's that taking of time, you know, the whole way you you founded your own organization, FSG, and you 
sometimes everybody gets dragged into working in the business rather than on the business. Yep. And I think sometimes that the pandemic has given people more workload than ever before, or feels that way in a VUCA world. And therefore, this feels like a step backwards that will give you two steps forwards, but people aren't taking the time to kind of map out the workload and what it means and when and where that should happen. And it feels like it's this architecture that needs to be done, but people aren't taking the time to do that. Maybe you'll give us some tips on that for people. Yeah, you know, really this is about teams coming together and thinking it through. Um, and starting with the, the key priority, just start with some of the key priorities that you think could benefit from a discussion about where they happen best. And it can be priorities you think are perhaps not being achieved as effectively as possible by not being more intentional about the way you're working. So just list them out. So for example, I have a client and it's a large professional services firm and they have a number of different business lines. And right now each business line has identified a number of key priorities that they think could benefit from some next level decision-making about where they happen most effectively. And so for example, in this particular firm, they're looking at engagement planning. Okay, what aspects of engagement planning could be done more effectively if we are in the same place together? And what are we going to do when we're not? They also have a number of colleagues across the globe in other time zones that they have to coordinate with. Okay, so when do we need to coordinate with these other colleagues as we do engagement planning? What does that look like? And then they're asking, okay, how are we using technology, the technology we have to enable that engagement planning most effectively? And so that's just one business line is taking that approach. Another business line is taking approach around on new hire onboarding. Same question. New hire onboarding. What aspects of that are could benefit from more intentionality around being in person? What does that look like? Do we have to involve our client our colleagues from other time zones in that new hire onboarding? How are we doing that? When are we doing that? And how do we use technology to support that new hire onboarding? So you can see the cadence of this process and what they're going through. And, you know, each, again, each business line is picking the priorities that they think are important for them. But at the end of this process, and we're taking a three-month activation, we're calling it um, timeframe. And at the end of that activation period, they will have a set of parameters that they have identified that they've all agreed they're going to work within to achieve these particular business priorities. And they're going to experiment over a four-month period with those parameters. And then at the end, we're going to take a look and we're going to say, all right, what did everybody decide to do? And remember, this is a big organization. So there are many, many teams activating around these same outcomes and priorities. So we're going to start to see what were some of the common best practices that emerged from this process that they can then begin to just, you know, operationalize and scale. But when teams chose a different path, why did they do that? What's behind that decision? And did it work? Was it effective? Is it something we can learn from that? So you can get a sense of what that process looks like. And I got to be honest, it's it, this is actually part of their work. It's So it's not really this whole extra thing they're doing. It's an additional layer onto their planning, onto their onboarding, onto the other aspects of their work that they've chosen. 
So again, it's really, um, it, it's additive. It's not, um, and generative, it's not really more of, um, a burden. So, and I, what we're finding consistently and what I've even found before COVID people really want to engage in this conversation. They really want to be part of that, um, that decision-making and that um, experimentation. And they really do come to the table and you learn a tremendous amount. It's funny, Aiden, people always ask me, how can you still love what you do so much after 20 plus years? And I always say it's because I live for the spark. And what's the spark? The spark is the innovation and the engagement that happens during that process. And you see it. And all of a sudden, people start questioning, why are we doing that? Could we do this better? They start to learn how to use the technology more effectively. They start to be managed more effectively and developed more effectively and feel more control over when they're doing their jobs and how they're communicating with their colleagues. And all of that is very empowering and um, is the outcome. So it can feel like it's more and it's like it can feel like a lot of work, but what you get out of it is so the return is so very worth it i love it and it reminds me of let me i was thinking about this the other day so i lecture in a business school and i was teaching the students about habits and when the best time to say for example read is and it all depends on your brainwave states and all this kind of stuff and also how for example willpower is a limited resource so you know that all that whole good intention of I'll go to the gym after work, and then by the time it gets to after work, you're like, oh, I'm totally spent. So I was I was trying to give them this understanding of how a day can be mapped for productivity, and then along comes your research, and I was going, this is great because in a way it's the same thing, and, and I think this is what I'm hearing is people want to be more productive, they want to have better outputs for their inputs yep. and you found this from this research but the organizations are often so happy to have them in the seats rather than actually go i want to have them in the seats and happier because they're feeling more productive and this speaks to again stuff you wrote about a decade ago in your book tweak it and i'm gonna leave the research for a moment and i'll come back to it because i I really wanted to come back to a term you use there which is outcome and outcome metrics in this new hybrid world or flexible world but let's just take a little trip back to tweak it and maybe share some of the ways we can introduce tweaks for ourselves to be more productive in a more flexible world so we're tweaking came from is I would meet these people in organizations I call the work-life fit naturals. These are the people who would very politely come up to me after I presented and they would say, can I just ask, why are you here? This is really not you know, rocket science. It's pretty simple. And I'm like, I gotta tell you, most people do not know how to do what you clearly seem to know how to do very intuitively. So in terms of fitting their work and life together flexibly, And so I studied them and I found some very basic things that they do that everybody really can do. The first and foremost is you have to be very intentional about what it is you're trying to get done in a given day. And they would, what they would do is they would break it down into small, meaningful actions and priorities as they relate to work and their life. And they would put them in their calendar. And so this isn't real, you know, this is, a productivity hack that you hear all the time, but really the, the, the naturals do do this. 
and they put them down and then they think through not only what they're doing, they do think through when, but they also, and even more so now is this important, they think about how and where they're going to do it. So, you know, are you going to do, so for example, let's say you do work in the office uh, through two to three days a week, but you do have a couple of days where you're working remotely. This is an opportunity for you to um, plan for the activities that you will do when you do not have a commute. So on the days that you are working um, remotely, maybe those are the days you try to go to the gym or a day that you try to meet a friend for lunch. Or maybe those are the days that you decide that's what I'm going to do my heads down work where I don't want to be distracted and I want to get something done in a way that is efficient and effective. So tweaking it really is looking at those specific activities and priorities personally and at work and thinking about how, when, and where they are done best. And you keep doing this every week over and over and over again as a practice. And over time, you will get many, many things done. And the other takeaway from Tweak It that I learned was the work-life fit natural celebrates success. They do not look at what they did not get done. They celebrate all the things they did get done. And that's such a, a great mental headspace to be in, um, to see that what did I do and then learn from something that didn't maybe work out as well and just continue to optimize as you go along. And that's a beautiful segue for an organization looking at the same thing. And this is back to the research and something that I think many leaders in organizations are struggling with where they could see people in the office. So FaceTime or butts on seats. And that made them think that these people are obviously contributing towards the bottom line in some way. But there's a shift now towards outcome metrics. And as we all know from innovation or transformation work, that you can change people's behavior through changing how they're measured and how their performance is, is evaluated. And outcome metrics are a huge part of this in this more flexible workspace. Well, you can't avoid them. Okay, so what I like to say is this, the dirty secret going into COVID is that we really weren't measuring how people were performing very well. We weren't because I would go into organizations before COVID and we would start to execute more remote work flexibility and managers would come up to me, kind of sidle up to me and say, how am I supposed to know they're working if I can't see them? And my answer was always the same. Oh, that's easy. How are you doing it now? You just keep doing it when, when they're not here and blank stares. So you could tell they weren't really sure how to measure performance. This is now forcing um, more outcome-based management that was really the way we should have been doing it all along. And one of the things that I consistently find in this process is once you start to look at, okay, so how are we measuring the way people are contributing? Um, it's almost like the ocean goes out and you know you see all the stuff at the bottom of the ocean. All of a sudden, it becomes clear who's contributing and who maybe isn't. And also what I can say is people want to do good work. They really do. And your top contributors are going to give you more. They really will because they're going to be more intentional about what they're doing. They're going to be even more planful about what they're doing in what place and in what space and how they're coordinating across time with each other. So they're going to give you more. Now, those that perhaps weren't as top performers, um, they're going to kind of rise to the top and you're going to see that they aren't probably the people you thought they were, but they're the, they're the, they are the minority. 
And you can't manage flexibility to those you fear will abuse it. You really have to manage to those that will actually thrive within it and deal with the people who aren't performing as performance issues, which is what they probably always were anyway. We could talk for a very long time, Kelly, because you've been doing this research for 20 years, two decades now. You've written a book on top of that as well. You're like that Wayne Gretzky quote who was asked, how did, was he such a good player? And he said, I skate to where the puck is going. You yep. skated there decades ago and you've been waiting for the world to catch up in many ways. <laughs> and I thought, you know, there's, there's a bigger, as, you, as people said, why are you still doing this? There's, there's a burning desire in there that you mentioned. And I wondered why. And maybe that's a nice way to finish today. What do you hope to achieve with this research, with your continued dedication to this work? So with this research, I hope to show that flexibility is not new, that the pandemic simply accelerated a trend to scale, and that all of the innovation, productivity, engagement, performance, collaboration outcomes that organizations and leaders want to see all can come from having an intentional strategic approach to work flexibility and executing it in a way that your organization will operate, seeing it as how your people will not only be their best at their jobs, but also in their life, which only will come back to you in terms of of performance and profit and all the things that you want as an organization. It's just the leaders need to understand You need to create that space to co-create what's next. Take the best of what we learned in the pandemic, add back what's missing, and work with your people to now define the way you're going to work going forward. And that's what I hope this does. I hope it really encourages everybody to meet in the middle and start to define how and where work's going to happen going forward. Beautiful call to action, Callie. And for people who want to find out more about you, about FSG, where can they find you? You can go to our website, it's flexstrategygroup.com, and you can actually download all of the survey results and reports, and you can also find me on LinkedIn. I love to connect with people, so please do that as well. I'm always posting there, and let's just keep the conversation going. Founder of Flex and Strategy Group, author of Work and Life, Finding the Fit That's Right for You, and Tweak It, Callie Williams-Yost, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you, Aiden. It's been a pleasure. Inside Learning is brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. Learnovate is funded by Enterprise Ireland and IDA Ireland. Visit learnovatecentre.org to find out more about our research on the science of learning and the future of work.